right, church? So I woke up a little bit stressed this morning, just so you know, like, because I just had some decisions to make, and I couldn't figure out what to wear, and I was like, you know, it'd be easier if Woodside would pass a rule that would say all campus pastors are going to wear their fancy robes. You know, if I could wear a fancy robe to preach in, and because um, I was thinking, you know, it's summertime, and because it's summertime, I can break out like my Hawaiian shirt, so I almost wore a Hawaiian shirt to preach in, but then I was like, the first service is like 50 degrees in this room, otherwise it'd be 90 right now in here, because it kind of heats up as the day goes on, like it's just about perfect right now, so anyway, that's when I was like, no, I can't do the Hawaiian shirt, and we're not going to do robes, I was like, maybe Woodside should pass a rule that says all campus pastors wear black button-up shirts, because black, you know, slimming, you know, makes you not look so husky. And so I thought, you know, that'd be good. I could, I could do that. Uh, but they haven't asked me about my clothing um, ideas, and so I just went with the blue shirt. That's what I went with. But I got online because of all this thought about decisions, and I looked up on the internet. We know everything's true on the internet. I wanted to look up how many decisions do we make a day. Here's what I found. You ready? 35,000 decisions every day. I've never counted, so I don't know if it's true, but that's what they say. 35,000 decisions. I saw someone actually mouthing it with me, which makes me think, okay, this must be true because other people know 35,000 decisions a day. Now, if you sleep, the average person, you may not be average, but the average person sleeps seven hours a day, which means, doing all the math, you're making about 2,000 decisions every hour. Amy is a kindergarten teacher. She makes a whole lot more than 2,000 decisions an hour, you know, because it's constant, one child after another, but 2,000 decisions an hour. Just think about everything it took for you to get here this morning. You woke up, the alarm went off. You had to decide, do I turn it off or do I hit snooze? You made a decision, right? I had to decide, do I act like I'm still sleeping and make Amy walk the dog or do I wake up and do I, but his face was right here when I opened my eyes. So I'm like, I'm walking the dog, you know? And so I had to take it. And then you've got to decide what am I going to wear? And then maybe you got dressed and you had to decide what else am I going to wear? Because I'm not wearing that. I'm going to change clothes. And then you got to decide, do I make coffee? Do I not make coffee? And then you get in the car and you already decided clearly that you're going to church because you're here. And so you got in the car and you were driving and then the light turned yellow yeah, I know. So you got to make a decision. Do I gun it to get through the yellow light or do I set an example for everyone in the car and do I just be calm and patient and roll slowly up to the line and do I stop like I'm supposed to? You know, what am I going to do? Then you pulled into the parking lot. And when you pulled into the parking lot, you're like, where do I park? Do I hog up all those spots up front or do I pull around back to where the soccer field is? You know, what am I going to do? And then you're like, okay, now I've decided all that. And you come in and you're like, do I come find my seat first? Because it's kind of crowded a little bit in here. And some people, sometimes they want to steal my seat. And so I could go mark it with my Bible and put my, my bulletin there. Or do I just say like, nope, I'll find a seat. I'm going to go get coffee. Do you see what I'm saying? A lot of decisions already. And even right now, you're making decisions. You're deciding, am I going to listen to Billy, or am I going to pull out my phone and act like I'm on my Bible app, but I'm really on Facebook? You know, what, what am I going to do? You know, or do I look at him and smile and shake my head like this, but the whole time I'm daydreaming about the week because I got a busy week in front of me. It's all these decisions that we're facing. Uh, Cornell did a research study and found that we make 226.7 decisions per day just on food. It's out of control. We are totally out of control. Here's the thing. Some decisions don't really matter. 
Red shirt, blue shirt, black shirt. Yeah, y'all don't care what my shirt is. Like, I know that, right? It doesn't change anything. And yet, so often, the decisions we're making every single day, decision after decision, they continue to grow. And over the long run, they make a huge impact on our lives, whether it's the health of our life, whether it's the finances of our life, whether it's the relationships of our life. Those small decisions that you're making every single day over a long period of time, it's what makes your character, right? It's, it's who you are. In fact, there are decisions that you make that have eternal consequences, not just to you, but to those around you. So we are in the middle of a sermon series called A Better Life, The Race of Faith Toward the Promise of God, where we're working our way through Hebrews chapter 11. Take your Bibles and open up there now, Hebrews chapter 11. What we've been doing is we've been looking at this hall of faith, and this hall of faith in the New Testament is taking us back to the men and the women of the Old Testament who lived with this huge faith. And today we're going to see how your faith should impact the decisions you make. You say that again, that's kind of a big deal. The faith that you live with should impact the decisions you make. And that brings us to our big idea. The big idea is that living by faith requires tough choices. Living by faith requires tough choices. That's true, isn't it? Like if you're going to be a person who lives with faith, then there are going to be tough choices that you have to make. Today, I want us to really look at three choices that as followers of Jesus you're going to have to make. The first is you choose to trust God and not live in fear. You choose to trust God, not live in fear. Let's look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. Starting in verse 23, it says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. So over the past few weeks, we've looked at uh, we, we've looked at Abel, we've looked at Enoch, we've looked at Noah, we've looked at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, we've looked at all these heroes of the faith. Today, finally, we're to Moses. If you're new to the Bible, let me just get you up to speed with what's going on with Moses entering the scene, because we're actually in the New Testament after Jesus is resurrected, but the writer of Hebrews says, as we're talking about faith and what it means to live as a person of faith, let me go all the way back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we can't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because there's so much richness that's there. Moses, when he is born, he's born uh, to this Hebrew family. The Hebrews right now, they are slaves in Egypt. So they live under an incredible amount of oppression. I mean, they're slaves. Their whole life is about building Pharaoh's name and Pharaoh's glory. Like, that's all they live for. The thing is that they've been living in such a way that the Hebrew people continue to grow in number, right? The population continues to grow. And so Pharaoh gets nervous. And in, uh, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh says what we're going to do for a short time, we're going to take any Hebrew boy that's born, any baby boy, we're going to drown them in the Nile. We're going to kill all the babies. We need to control the population. If we don't control the population then they're going to ally themselves with one of our enemy countries and they're going to overthrow us and we can't have that. And so what we see in Exodus 6.20, Moses' parents, Amran and Jacobed, they come along in their people of faith. But think about this decision. Jacobed's pregnant. She's going to have this baby. They have this baby boy and now they have to decide, do we live in fear of Pharaoh? 
Do we live in fear? There's serious fear here. Because if we, if we hold on to this child, if we don't do what we've been told, he's going to kill us too. So do we live in fear, a very real reason for fear, or do we live in faith? Of course, we know that they pick faith, don't they? They take Moses, they hide him away for three months. For three months, he's in hiding. They don't let anyone know about this baby. And then finally, Jacobet is like, it's time. The only way that this is going to work is if God. You made those decisions lately? Like, we're going to make this decision, we're going to do this, but the only way it works is if God. If God is the only way that this can possibly work out, they place Moses in a basket and they send him down the river. If God, that's the only way that this is going to work. You guys already know this story, right? So Pharaoh's daughter, she's like the princess, right? Pharaoh's daughter is at the water, and then all of a sudden, here comes this Hebrew baby, and she picks up this Hebrew baby, and we would say, like, what would possibly make her want to keep this baby? Uh, But we know it's the Lord, don't we? We also know that it said in Scripture that, that Moses, he was beautiful. I don't I don't think that meant he had chubby cheeks. Maybe he did have chubby cheeks, but I don't think that that's what this was about. I think it was about the hand of the Lord being on this baby. I think that's what this was, the hand of the Lord being on him. And so the daughter of Pharaoh takes baby Moses in her hand, and she's like, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do with this baby? And she turns to her servant, Miriam. Those of you who aren't familiar with this, this is actually pretty awesome. Miriam just happens to be Moses' sister. Cool, right? And so here she is serving the daughter of Pharaoh, and she turns to Miriam, and she's like, I I don't know. Like, I don't even know what we're going to do. What do you think? We got to do something. What should we do? And so Miriam's like, I don't know too. You know, I got to think. You know what? I have this crazy idea. We could get a surrogate mom. To step in, I mean, technically, you be the mom, but, like, you know, just like a, we get one of the slaves just to kind of be a stand-in mom and do some of the hard work. You're right. Do you know anyone? And she's like, I do. There's this woman named Jacobed. Like, that's what we could do. And so, like, are you tracking? So, basically, Moses' mom is now almost employed, not really employed because she's a slave, but, like, you get the responsibility to care for this little baby, Moses, that just happens to be your baby, but nobody knows it's your baby. Isn't that incredible? Like, that is such a beautiful story. And so Moses starts to grow up, and as he's growing up, here's what he's hearing. He's hearing this foundation of faith that he'll be known for for the rest of his life. This foundation that says, don't choose fear, always choose faith. That's what Moses is growing up in. He's growing up with these stories that God made a promise through Abraham. Not just for this promised land, but oh yes, there is a promised land that is waiting, but it's bigger than that. See, God told Abraham that there'd be a rescuer that would come, a savior. She's talking about Jesus. They just didn't know his name was Jesus yet. Moses grew up hearing those stories, and so we see this incredible foundation of what it means to not choose fear, but to choose faith. So how about you? When you look at your life, can you spot times in the past where you've had that choice? Like, do I choose to live a life of fear? Do I choose to think that, like, I'm doing this because I'm scared of the repercussions otherwise, and so that's why I'm choosing this? Or did you choose faith? Like, which, which did you choose? And maybe you chose one. Maybe you chose the other. But what about right now? See, I think some of you right now, there are decisions that you're making, and you can choose fear. You can choose faith.
Some of you didn't even realize you're making the decision. But here's, here's the thing. When you look at your life against the Word of God, what choices are you making? And there's some of you that the choices you're making are based off of, I know it's right, I know what the Word of God says, but if I do that, Pastor, do you know what this could do to me financially? Do you know what this could do? Some of my friends may not want to be around me anymore. It might damage and hurt relationships. I just don't know how things would work out if I actually did what I know I'm supposed to. My encouragement to you is don't, don't live in fear. Pick faith. Be the person who does what they know the Lord is calling you to. The next thing that we're going to see in Scripture, we're going to see that we should choose the reward of Christ, not fleeting pleasures, meaning not, not temporary pleasures. Don't, don't, don't pick the temporary, pick the eternal, right? Don't, don't pick the temporary, pick the eternal. Look at what Scripture says, picking back up in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. All right, let me slow down because there's a lot that just happened. In fact, if you look at your Bible between verses 23 and 24, there's about a 40-year gap, right? But like it just zooms, and so if you're not careful, you miss it. There's a 40-year gap. For 40 years, Moses has lived like a rock star. Like that guy has had the best food, the best drink, the best home. He lives in the nation with the most advanced technology. He's got everything. He's got it all. In fact, Scripture tells us this in Acts, Acts 7.22, that he was educated with all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Like he literally has the best of the best. But then about 40, there's this choice. Moses, are you going to live as an Egyptian, as an Egyptian prince? As someone with access to the royal courts, are you going to live with all of the money and all of the power and all of the prestige? Or do you want to be a slave? Which do you pick, Moses? Which, do you want to stand with the Hebrew people or do you want to be an Egyptian? Which do you want? You know what the world says? The world's going to say, this one is an easy one, right? You choose, you choose What's going to last for your whole day? See, we use the word fleeting pleasures. That doesn't sound like fleeting, does it? For the whole entire life, for as long as you live, you can have everything you want or live as a slave. That sounds like a long time to me. That doesn't sound temporary. That sounds permanent. And yet, we know when we sit here, when we back up from our situations, we know that we're talking about eternity. Right? Eternity is forever. Our lives are just a breath, like they happen so fast. Lois sat right there, actually, in the second service, the missionary to Haiti. And as I talked to her just a little bit, I said, did you have any clue that you would be, in 1983, did you have any clue that you would be where you are today? And she was like, not a clue. Like, I, I, I was thinking short term, but it was so much bigger. It was so much bigger. And so Moses makes the decision I want to stand with the Hebrew people. I will not be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
And maybe you're sitting here and you're going, that's craziness. Why would he do that? Well, Scripture tells us in verse 26, it says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Isn't that incredible? You see, he had eyes of faith in a way that he said, okay, I know. I know the decisions that I'm making now, uh, they, they matter. And I know what God is calling me to. And it's not the wealth and power of Egypt. I know what God is coming to, therefore I have to do it. I have to take this step because this is what the Lord is calling me to. And then something powerful happens. You see the writer use Moses as this parallel with Christ. I, do you get how incredible that? Of all the compliments someone could give you, can you think of a more powerful compliment, not if you do it, but if someone else does it, if they use your life as an example of Christ? If they looked at you and said, you want to know what Christ is like? Let me tell you about this person. And they used your name. Can you imagine? I, I don't know that there would be a, a bigger compliment, a more humbling compliment, but that's what the writer does with Moses. And then we see uh, in verse uh, 26, so Jesus, when you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't just set the people free from slavery. Jesus set the people free for eternity. In Matthew 26, Matthew says that Jesus could have called thousands of angels to his side. He could have chose the quick way. He could have chose the easy way. He could have said thousands of angels, let's do a game over, I win. That's what Jesus could have said, but what did he do? He humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that so that you and I could be free. And Moses is talked about in those same lines. So Moses sees that the people of God are in need of rescue. He doesn't know what that means or how to do it. So what we see in verse 27 is he walked by faith. He walked by faith. He couldn't see what was coming. He didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold, but he walked by faith. He went to Midian. And it was in Midian that the Lord started to whisper to him how he was going to use him, how he was going to be used. And that's when the Lord gave him this plan. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, you need to set my people free. And Pharaoh's like, no, thank you. I've got free labor and this is a great plan for me. So I'm not setting the people. And the first plague and the second plague, nine plagues come. Finally, Exodus 12, 12, we see the 10th plague Scripture says this, God says he would pass through the land of Egypt that night. He would strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, he says, I will execute judgments for I am the Lord. But the whole time God had a plan to rescue his people. So God told Moses to go to the people and tell them all to slaughter a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and cover the doorpost of their home. And he said, now that night when I'm going over and I'm looking for the firstborn in every home, any home that's covered by the blood of the lamb, I will pass over. That's why it's called Passover. I will pass over their, home, their homes. They'll be rescued. They'll be saved. So when I, um, when I was a teenager, I, I did silly things. And if you're a young person, if you're a teenager, you probably don't. You're probably very wise and, and very smart and you think through things, like if I do this, then this is going to be what's happening. I, well, I was dumb. Like, I did dumb things. Uh, in fact, let me tell you about one real quick. I worked at Taco Tico, home of three tacos for a dollar. And um, 
they weren't very good tacos, but we sold a lot of them because they were cheap, you know, so Oklahomans, they just line up to get those tacos. And so we had this big fryer in the back. Has anyone ever worked at a place with a big fryer? All right, all right. Not very many of you. Raise your hands. So let, let me just tell you how this goes so you can live vicariously through me. With a big fryer, if you throw an ice cube in there, that's bad because it makes all this popping noise and grease starts spattering everywhere. So like if your buddy's walking around the corner, you can throw ice in it and it'll like get them, you know, and it'll, it'll pop them with grease and it's kind of funny and everything. And so anyway, we use that fryer so we can make taco salad bowls because nothing says salad like a fried shell. It's so good. Or we make crustos. Like we would cut a tortilla shell into these little triangles and fry it and then put cinnamon and sugar on it. It's like a superfood in Oklahoma. And so anyway, we had this ice maker. And this ice maker would drop sheets of ice. And you'd take the, the little shovel thing and you'd break it up and you'd have the little squares like you're supposed to. So one day, it dropped the sheet of ice and it didn't break and I took out this sheet of ice. <laughs> and I looked at, I looked at the grease. And I looked at the ice. And see, I, I'm older now. I'm more mature. And so I'm like, if I do this, what's going to happen? I wasn't at 16 and 17 years old. I was like, this is going to be fun. Like, this is going to be funny. So there was actually a church. You're going to love this. There was a church in Denver uh, a couple years ago who said, we need to bring out the fire department because we're going to take a frozen turkey and drop in the hot grease. And we want to show all of our people what happens. So before I finish my story, I want you to watch this real quick. Last year, 2 million people decided to deep fry their Thanksgiving turkeys. 15 people managed to deep fry their Thanksgiving turkeys and burn their house down at the same time. Thanks to the Elk Creek Fire Department, we'd like to show you exactly how they did it. So dramatic. Do that. Good. Notice he laughs nervously and gets out of there. <laughs> yeah, let me, we're going to do it one more time, but in slow motion, just I want you to see how quick that basketball goal goes away. Watch this. So I'm holding this block of ice. I hadn't seen the video. I didn't think through what might happen. And I just, boom, I dropped it all in there. And I took a couple steps back. And, and nothing happened. About that time, everything went to slow motion. The manager walked around the corner. She looked at me. I looked at her. The grease exploded straight up in slow motion and hovered in the air and wobbled just like this and then come crashing down. And um, I didn't die that day, just so you know. I uh, did not burn myself. Just God's grace is so good to me. Like, I didn't burn down the Taco Tico. I didn't even get fired. But the manager did call me a lot of names because this was back in the day. So I think she cussed at me a little bit. And um, so she called me some names and then was like, you know, Billy, you're going to stay here until all that grease is completely cleaned up. And all that to say, like, I was dumb. Don't be dumb, okay? Don't be dumb. Don't go home and try this. You can watch the video like the fire department did it for you. So don't burn down your home. Don't be silly. Here's the thing, though. Faith and faith, sometimes I think, I think we, we have some immaturity that sneaks in. 
you know, it wasn't at 16 or 17 that really I was dumb. I, I really wasn't dumb. I just didn't think through the consequences at all. And um, I, I just reacted. You know, I just, I just was in the moment. And I, just, I just reacted and went for it and whatever felt good in the moment. And so in your faith, when you're young, and, and young doesn't mean your age. Young means your spiritual maturity. And so you can be 80 years old and not have very much spiritual maturity or you'll be 20 years old and have gobs of spiritual maturity. But when you're young in the faith, isn't it true that at first you're like, man, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. He set me free. He redeemed me. He did all those other church words that the pastor uses, right? I, I am free. And then almost what we do is we look and we say, oh, that thing that I'm doing, I'm going to go ahead and do it because Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, right? That thing, it's okay. I'm going to do that because Jesus died for me. You know, I, I can just get away with all of that stuff because it's about me. But my friends, what should happen is there should be some growth in your maturity. And here's how you know it's happening. When all of a sudden you look in the mirror, and it's not about what can I get away with. It is how can I live my life in a way that looks holy, that's holy and pleasing to the Lord? How do I do that? And so you look in the mirror, and you say, that person in the mirror, they have gifts and talents and strengths and burden. They have it for a reason. And the reason is because I get to go and be that grace and mercy and justice and love to a world that desperately needs Jesus. I get to do that because this life, listen, this is huge. This life is not about me. It's really not. This life has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And when you do that, you realize it's not about the temporary rewards. It's about the eternal. It's not the temporary satisfaction. It's the eternal the final point this morning is we need to choose the ways of God and not worldly wisdom. Verse 29 of Hebrews says this, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Moses got most of the text today, but all of a sudden, the author of Hebrews says, let me give you three other examples real fast before we finish, right? The, the author of Hebrews was like, three more quick examples. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. So you think we're still talking about Moses, but we're not anymore. The people, this goes from the leader Moses to all of a sudden the congregation of the people. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. So in Exodus 14, Moses is there, and Pharaoh has finally said, I want you to get out. I want all of the people out. Fine. You want freedom? You've got it. Get out of Egypt. So Moses is like, all right. So he's got a stick, and he's like, follow me. And all the people are like, follow the guy with the stick. And so he's walking, and as he's walking, they start to get closer to the water. And then they hear some noise behind them. Because, you see, Pharaoh changed his mind. He's like, I can't let all of this free labor just walk out. And so he changes his mind. The chariots are on the way. The officers are on the way. And so the people, can you see this? They get to the line. They're like, one more step and we're doomed because that's the sea. So our choice, our choice is we can, we can drown, we can die by the sword, or worldly wisdom 
we can give up and go back to being slaves. Worldly wisdom would say pick being a slave, wouldn't it? Worldly wisdom would say that's better than drowning. It's better than dying by the sword. Just give up and call it good. But they didn't, did they? They said, let's not live by worldly wisdom. Let's live by faith. You guys know the story. The seas parted. They walked through on dry ground. When the chariots and the officers come riding through, the walls come crashing down the walls of water. Verse 30 says, by, the, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. This is just like a sentence and it's so powerful because this fast forwards to Joshua chapter 6. It just zoom, it just fast forwarded to Joshua 6 for weeks and weeks and weeks. You and I have been talking about the people hearing this promise to Abraham that there's a promised land. They're standing in the promised land right now, right? They are in the promised land. The crazy thing is, is God forgot to tell the people who are there that it was promised to the Hebrew people, right? And so they get to Jericho, and when they get to Jericho, there's this city with this huge castle wall around it, and they're like, what in the world are we supposed to do? These are not soldiers. They, they were slaves, and now for a generation, they've been nomads at best, like just this, this hodgepodge of people walking through the desert, and now they're standing around this walled city. And the Lord's like, here's what I want you to do. Walk around it once for six days. On day seven, walk around it seven times. Toot the trumpet and yell. All y'all give like a mean yell all at once. That's the plan. Now as Americans... As Americans, what would we say? Would we say, no, worldly wisdom says C4. C4 would do the job. Like, that's how you get a hole in that wall. Or an A10, an A-10 warthog, you know, bring with it. Now, that would not, it may not destroy the whole thing, but certainly going to make a, a big enough hole for you to get through, right? That's what we would do. Worldly wisdom, make a hole. And yet, they followed exactly what the Lord told them to do. They lived with faith. They did exactly what God told them to do. The walls come down. The people walk right in. It's incredible. Finally, last. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So then the author of Hebrews goes from Joshua 6, goes backwards to Joshua 2. And in Joshua 2, uh, they're right up to the edge of the promised land. They hadn't yet entered and Joshua's like, I got an idea. We're going to send spies to check things out, to let us know what we're dealing with. And some of the spies, they were inside of Jericho, like they got into the city. So they're in Jericho, and that's when Rahab has an interaction with them and actually takes and hides the spies. Because the king found out there were spies in the city, he sent soldiers to find them and kill them. And that's when Joshua 2, 4, and 5 uh, we see Rahab interact with these soldiers, and she says, she's talking to them. She says, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. So when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. So I don't know where they went, but pursue them quickly for you'll overtake them. It's like Scooby-Doo, isn't it? Like the, the soldiers come running up, and she's like, I, I don't know. They went that way. And they're like, okay, and they run that way, you know. And so there's Rahab, but here's the incredible. You're going to love this part if you're not familiar with it. By Joshua 6, the walls come down. The Hebrew people walk in. There's Rahab and her family. And not only, not only do they spare her family, 
but her family becomes part of the family line of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Messiah, our Savior. And you can read all about it in Matthew 1. Isn't that amazing? One decision that she made. You know what wisdom of the world would say? Wisdom of the world would say, no, those soldiers, when they come to you, you surrender. Like, you're done. You, you surrender those guys. You save your own neck, and, and you get rid of it. But yet, we know that she said, the Lord your God, he is God over the heavens and God over all the earth. She recognized what the Lord was doing. You see, we make a lot of decisions, don't we? A lot of decisions. Do I wear a black shirt? Do I wear a blue shirt? Do I throw all of that ice into the boiling hot grease or do I not? You know, we, we make all these decisions. Do I forgive that person or do I hold the grudge? Do I live according to what God's word says or, or, or do I not? A lot of decisions we make. I want to go back to the Passover though. The Passover, the blood of the lamb being put around the doorpost of the home. Imagine right now, Imagine everything went quiet. The band, the noise just went away. My voice, just the, the volume, just, it was weird. It was like it was muted. And imagine this roof just got peeled back. In the complete silence, the roof got peeled back. And the righteous right hand of the Lord reached down to you. And said, are you going to heaven with me? It's time. Are you going? There's only two answers, right? There's, there's yes or no. Of course, we're all going to say yes, every single one of us. Yes, I want to go to heaven. So then the Lord's going to say this. He's going to say, why? Why should I let you into heaven? You know, it's heartbreaking as a pastor, a guy who does this every week, is I think there's still going to be so many people who say, well, God, I mean, I tried to do what's right. I tried to make good decisions. I tried to go to church. I just want you to know the truth. There's only one answer that you can give in that moment, and that is, I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is nothing that you can do that gives you right standing with God. It is what Jesus has already done at the cross. He paid a price you and I can't pay. And today, maybe you need to make that decision because you've never made the decision to place Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. I'll come back to you in just a moment, but I also know that this room mostly is filled with brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of you have decisions that you need to make right now. There's decisions. There's stuff you're struggling with. In fact, there's stuff that you're struggling with, but you've been afraid. You know, if I, if I do that, Billy, if I do that thing, whatever that thing is, just ripples of what's going to happen. I just, I don't know. I mean, it just, it's, it's hard. It's not as easy as just do it, just have faith. Some of you are like, I, I want to, but I've got this temporary thing that's going on, and I know when I think about eternity, this isn't as big as what it, it is to me right now, but to me, it's kind of a big deal right now. So I'm, I'm just struggling with the repercussions of that decision. Some of you, you've got a decision that you're struggling with right now, and it's a big decision, and yours isn't like you're trying to be bad and like not, not follow the Lord. Yours is the opposite. You're going, no, I'm trying to follow the Lord. I want to follow the Lord. I just don't know what the Lord wants me to do. It's almost like, uh, do I wear red or green? I'm not hearing anything from the Lord yet. But this decision is bigger than red or green shirt. 
This is a, this is a, a big deal, and I, I don't know what the Lord wants from me. Here's, here's incredible news. We don't serve a secret agent God. He's not hiding from you. So he wants to tell you. You see, I don't know. When I look at Moses' life, I'm like, I, I could see how the Lord would say, use your position as an Egyptian prince. Use, use the right posture to help the people. I could totally see how God could use that. It's not what God called him to. And he was crystal clear on that. So I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that you'll be crystal clear on the decision that you're supposed to reach. I want to pray for those of you who are struggling, just that you'll have courage and boldness in your decisions. Lord, we do thank you for today. We thank you for allowing us the opportunity to open your word and be transformed by its words. God, I pray for those who have decisions to make, and uh, this morning they're just kind of scared. They're nervous about it. They, uh, they're nervous about how it's going to affect relationships, financially what it's going to do. Maybe they're nervous about what's going to happen with how people in the church, friends in the church, will see them or think about them. Lord, I pray that all of that junk goes away and that we are people who are bold in our faith. And Lord, when I say bold in our faith, I mean that we're bold in trusting you. That we just have incredible trust in who you are and what you're calling us to and what you're doing. Lord, I pray for those who have a huge decision that they're working through right now and they don't know which way they're supposed to go, left or right. I pray for clarity today. I pray for discernment today. I pray that there is no mistake of what you're calling them to. So Lord, when they step, they're able to step with confidence. No different than Moses stepping on the dry ground through the Red Sea. Or there was courage and confidence because he had heard your voice. So let's just hear from you today. Give us discernment on, on what we're supposed to do. And Lord, for those who, honestly, they've never placed their faith and trust in you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they can just have that safety right now in this moment to be able to say that they believe. They believe that you love us, that we've sinned, we've missed the mark. We're not perfect. We're not holy. But that's why Jesus came. But I pray for safety in this moment for them to be able to say, I'm calling on Jesus as Lord and my Savior for the first time ever. My life is now being covered by the blood of the Lamb. I may not understand all the details, but I understand that much. Lord, we thank you for the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the way that you continue to transform lives. Lord, allow us this week to keep, keep the habit of getting still and getting alone with you so that we can hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, at this time, I want to invite you to stand as we close our morning in worship together.